Hello and welcome to Now That's an Idea, the podcast focusing on moving forward by embracing the past and living out strong values to cultivate the future. My name is John. I'm here with Northwood University. We're very excited for today's podcast as we focus on nationalism and patriotism. What are the differences? Why is it so important in our discussions with America as we move forward? And how can we look at the past to, as we say in our podcast, cultivate the future? We have two great guests moderating our discussion today. Of course, we have our very own Dale Matchek, professor and chair of economics here at Northwood University. And our special guest of this episode is Dr. Khalil Habib. He's the associate professor of politics at Hillsdale College. He graduated from the University of Maine with a bachelor's in political science, then received his master's in political science from the University of Toronto, and then he earned his PhD in political philosophy from Boston University in 2005. His work has appeared in prestigious journals such as the Review of Metaphysics, Ancient Philosophy, among many others, and he is also co-editor of several different books on both globalization and citizenship. Dr. Habib truly offers a very unique insight into this topic. We're very excited to see what you think of this episode. It's, again, a very interesting topic. So without further ado, let's hop right on into the episode. I'd kind of like to start with a quote from one of my favorite authors, Mm -hmm. G.K. Chesterton. And he had this to say about patriotism. He said, quote, My country, right or wrong, is a thing that no patriot would ever think of saying. Except in a desperate case, it's like saying my mother, drunk or sober. (laughs) And uh, I just wondered, uh, do you you understand what he means? I do. And that's actually quite similar to what Tocqueville was saying. Um, You're not a, a, a citizen patriot. If, if your country right or wrong, yeah. according to Tocqueville and to Chesterton, because if you were involved in government, if, if, if part of your, your patriotism was direct involvement in shaping a government, it's not right or wrong. That already assumes a separation right. between ruling or government yeah. and citizenship. If you love your mother, you don't want her to be a drunk. Of, of course not. Right. Right. And, and, and you wouldn't just accept it's that. It's a patriotism. A... Mas- it's indifference masquerading as patriotism. Right. And that is not what Tocqueville uh, calls for. Right. And that is not what Chesterton. That's a beautiful quote. Yeah. Chesterton has a way of putting things. Yeah. But, 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 it, but it does capture a certain kind of patriotism. Right. There are some that do encourage, you know, uh, I think that's sort of more of a statist and more of a fascist understanding to say my country right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Just like you said, because it really is just this groveling, unthinking kind of patriotism. And that's why Tocqueville calls it unreflective well is that is that when you use the word nationalism is that what you have in mind as distinct from patriotism yeah yeah i mean tocqueville doesn't use the phrase nationalism i I was using it just to 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 try to engage with the audience and connect them Mm -hmm. to it but he is clearly aware of blood and soil nationalism and a kind of nationalism defined by ancestry just birthplace but what if you're a Christian and you don't define yourself in terms of your birth? You're right. supposed to go and make all nations Christians so that right. one's birth is superfluous. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, isn't the nation kind of a modern way it, of thinking? It is, it is modern. That's why, that's why he doesn't quite ever say nationalism. But you can tell the description is very much, quote, nationalistic in yeah. the sense that what, what you're looking at there is a militaristic spirit. You're looking at a membership being rooted and defined almost entirely by birthplace and the ancestral. And for Tocqueville, that's not the direction the world is going in a post-Christian, post-enlightened age. Uh, And he finds, frankly, in America, in some kind of 
economic patriotism, something connected with self-governance. It's not just economic. Now, is there a danger, though, in the American-style patriotism? Is that where the manifest destiny idea comes out? Is there a danger in which we might have a kind of cultural imperialism, uh, we feel, American values? Mm-hmm. We're going to do nation-building around the world because, after all, we've got it figured out. Right, right. Yeah, there is a danger. Uh, Tocqueville's even aware of it. And I think part of any and, and he continually addresses it throughout the work, uh, partly by constantly reminding you that he's talking about democracy in America. The idea that you can export democracy everywhere for him would be foolish. In fact, in a chapter on patriotism, he actually says, I am far, this is almost a direct quote, I am far from arguing that these rights should be just spread across the world and spread across all peoples. In other words, no regime building, no regime yeah. changing. He talks about an apprenticeship right. uh, of right. equality or liberty. Absolutely. Yes, he does. He does. And, and you saw today, um, or in that discussion on private property, he says, well, here, let me try to explain the relationship between uh, virtue and rights. A child. A child needs to be tutored. They need to learn through the school of hard knocks that Mm -hmm. uh, not everything belongs to them and that if they want to respect, if they want others to respect what they have, they too have to recognize others' boundaries. So in other words, there are preconditions to liberty, to to freedom uh, that help to place a barrier against just unbridled license. And Tocqueville, like Burke and others, and particularly Montesquieu, believes that freedom and liberty would require some kind of experience, history. Mm-hmm. You, it's not some abstract idea. You just run around the globe and posing. Now, does that mean that there there is a kind of non-repeatable aspect to our own history? Is that apprenticeship? It's certainly nothing we, we set about undertaking, but it just happened more or less accidentally, given our roots in you know, the English system right. and right. how long is that apprenticeship? Is it something <laughs> is it something a nation can aspire to? It's it's a something that some nations can aspire to. He was pretty uh bleak about France in particular. He didn't think that after Louis the Fourteenth and the French Revolution, when people essentially lost any contact with political activity, government there was so centralized. Yeah. The the three estates that had essentially checked the monarch had been destroyed. He felt that uh, the case in France in many ways was hopeless. Uh, So you can lose the spirit of freedom. That's what's so terrifying about this book. And you can lose the spirit of freedom in a variety of ways. You can lose it when you're under a monarch who consolidates power and essentially strips you of any kind of right to participate. You can also lose it if you just abnegate any kind of political responsibility, if you if you just cease to care about your fellow person. This is why patriotism is not a bad thing. In fact, he's basically saying, without it, without a strong sense of a nation, you don't care about your neighbor. Right. And that kind of disconnection, that kind of atomism, is precisely how you erode the conditions of liberty. When you cease to care... Because in a nation as large as ours, you as an individual person have very little of an impact. Connecting with others, building associations is how we ricochet and how and how we amplify. But of course, when he was writing, the national government was, you know, the furthest thing from people's minds when they thought about their government. Mm-hmm. And they would have been involved in local uh, units of mm-hmm. government. But today it seems like it's almost the opposite. <laughs> We're obsessed with... Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the national government and the president in particular, and people vote 
when the presidential election takes place, then they ignore the mm-hmm. off-year elections. Right. Um, what's happened there? Well, a couple of things. I think one thing, people move around a lot and don't have as much of an attachment to their town as they used to, so they're less engaged. Mm-hmm. They're also more engaged at the macro level, frankly, because of pop culture. I mean, the presidencies become celebrity and, yeah. uh, the, and, and, the, and government has replaced God in terms of attention and respect, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a perverse inversion. But at the time that Tocqueville was writing, he was aware of the Federalist and the Anti-Federalist arguments, and he mm-hmm. was aware that there would be a, uh, that eventually, a, potentially, a very large, strong uh, national government. And by that, I don't mean a federal system, right. as in a potentially an administrative despotism. But I think in our case, I think... Um, Video games, technology, television, comfort. You know, I mean, you don't, people would have to actually go out and see friends before. You yeah. Know, you don't anymore. I'm thinking uh, about what you said about this destiny of equality and increasing equality that's providential and wondering uh, what he would have thought about recent trends in the United States where, and it's been characterized in books uh, Charles Murray wrote. Coming Apart, uh, there's another book, Great Divide. It talks about Americans being divided culturally as well as economically. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of America that's doing very well and you know, follows a certain cultural pattern and another part which mm-hmm. lives according to a different set of standards. Mm-hmm. And how does that fit in with Tocqueville's understanding? Well, I think that um, Tocqueville never thought that economic clashes would really take root here. He saw, he says, we don't have a proletariat in this country. And I think what he meant by that is that you really have a large and ever-growing middle class. So I don't, and that's why Marxism never really took root here. It's hard to convince people who are doing, frankly, quite well and always at least expect to do better in the future that their alternative was to just reject private property. Uh, so it, it was, it, 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 Marxism had to come into the back door in other ways, mostly culturally, but not economically, it never really took root except among faculty, of course, <laughs> anything can happen. Um, the divide that you're describing though is, um, is, is, a, is, a, is more of a, a cultural one where I think there are, there's a real divide there. But I think what you're really seeing is, again, a playing out of what he's talking about. It's a battle between those who are egalitarian, and that's their new religion, and those who want to push back against that in the name of liberty. The two tensions he exactly was talking about. So when you're talking about this, the country's falling apart. Well, it's, it is, there's massive and almost irreconcilable differences between those who, for example, deny that gender has an essence, it's fluid, so all are equal. Then there are those who are no. So if you look at all of the divisions, the cultural divisions, they really break down, almost down to a certain advocacy for equality, uh, writ large and across the board, almost indiscriminately. And those who say, no, what about religious freedom? What about personal liberty? And so there's, it's that tension. It's exactly what he said would be characteristic of any democratic age. Mm-hmm. So I, I love what um, you said, or what Tocqueville said, I guess, uh, and you told the students tonight about liberty is not an abstraction. Liberty is embedded in practice mm-hmm. and in culture. And you can only understand it in, the, in that context, mm-hmm. in a concrete way. So I wonder if liberty is, is something that must be experienced to be appreciated. And, and to the extent that you know, our, our economy has changed. People work in big corporations. People 
are less likely to run their own business, to be that independent farmer that would have mm-hmm. characterized the America of Tocqueville's day. Is there something about about the change in our the way we work that is eroding our concrete experience of liberty I, and maybe making us more inclined towards it? Definitely. One of the concerns that Tocqueville had was you don't, it's okay to have property and it's okay to engage in commerce. It's not okay to give up practicing liberty. What he meant by that was defining you, you are creating and forming the laws under which you live. And that first depiction of what a good republic would look like. You love the laws and you obey them willingly because you made the laws. You had a hand in them. What he doesn't want to see is just pure commercial activity removed from concerns with others, removed from... For him, liberty isn't just doing what you want. It is the active defense of their political liberties. They're really civic liberties. You know, the right to determine what your town does, what your child studies, your what your church can do. I mean, it literally is the, you, you are kind of a magistrate. You are. Yeah. So there's a responsibility associated with citizenship. 100%. It's being a citizen. Liberty is the activity of a citizen who is free. Uh, it's not some abstraction. Uh, you lose it the second yeah. you just devote your life to just simply any activity that takes you away from acting like a citizen. Right. One of the things that I heard you say was that citizenship, of the global kind that some people claim mm-hmm. or aspire to, although it sounds nice, brotherhood of man, all that, mm-hmm. is a kind of irresponsible position to take, precisely because you can't participate in a, in a, in a global... I, I have a quote here from Charlie Chaplin that I prepared for, in case this came up. Chaplin said this about his citizenship. I consider myself a citizen of the world, an internationalist, I just happened to have been born in London, England. It could have been Burma or China or Timbuktu. I'd still be the way I am. Is that true? Well, could you be born anywhere and be the way you are? Does, 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 is citizenship just an, a label? No, it's not just a label. I mean, every, every nation defines its citizenship differently, and not every nation has citizens. A citizen, by definition, is a free, politically engaged person, as opposed to, say, a subject. Some nations have subjects. We have citizenship. We're close to losing any meaningful definition of it, though, because we're eroding what it means in several ways. By saying anyone can be a citizen means nobody's really a citizen. It's lost any kind of distinctive definition. The other way we're eroding it is by our own activity, by just simply not being politically engaged. We're not paying attention to politics, just retreating more and more in our own private, disconnected lives. Could the fact that, let's say, voting participation is not particularly high, couldn't that mean a sign that our democracy is working so well that we, and and our lack of engagement, couldn't that simply be a complacency based on, you know, everything's going so well. I don't need to be involved. That's, That's another reason why liberty can't be an abstraction. You can lose it. You don't, there's no sense that the part of that indifference, I think, comes from a number of things. My vote doesn't matter is one one possibility. It's what, what difference does my one vote make? Two, things are going so well. What difference does anything happen in D.C. make on my life? Mm-hmm. Um, and then three, um, people are just, frankly, could care less. They don't see the immediate impact of any of the noise that comes around every four years to, 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 to beg for your vote has on their immediate lives. Now, why? That just shows you, you don't, you're not part of the community. 
the activities others have and you are so disconnected, why would you care? But we're talking about citizenship. What would be the equivalent? What, what impact does it have on me? So isn't that a kind of dis- disconnecting? Right, right. Disconnection, right? Uh, no, I agree. So um, as I, I think about some of the points that you brought up in your speech, I am inspired by Tocqueville's optimism. Mm-hmm. But you also mentioned a couple of concerns that he had. Yeah. I wonder uh, if you would care to comment on whether or not his optimism or his pes- pessimism was more justified. I, that's a difficult question to answer. I am constantly reassured when I travel in places actually like the Midwest, where there is a certain level of patriotism and citizen virtue and spirit that I don't generally see, especially in large urban centers. Mm-hmm. Um, I just find that there is, America is so big, and I just find that there are pockets throughout the country that should give us quite op- uh, optimism. In fact, I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine who's conservative, loves the country, thinks it's all going down to, to it's over, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and I said, you know, the middle class in America is still very healthy. It still help, it elects presidents. It's, it's still a swing vote. It is connected to industry. It is concerned with uh, immigration. It is concerned with security. It is concerned with its family. It's concerned with education. So I think as long as the middle class grows, just as Tofil had suggested in his chapter, as long as there's skin in the game, people and more and more owners, you don't have a working class per se. What you have are citizens with families and with property. I think that will help keep government at bay. It keeps a check on, on government, you know, because there's more at stake. I lose more with every crazy policy that somebody introduces. Through my own, again, like my own family and your own family, we can get sort of more dialed into what's going on with Washington. So I, I'm, I'm optimistic. I think, I think the key, frankly, is the middle class. The, the elites have, have disconnected from the country. Uh, I don't think they have much of a read on, on America. Are they patriotic? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, of course, they of course they define it as such. Uh, but I don't think it's patriotic to open your borders and say a citizen is just anybody that crosses over. I don't think a patriot puts industry before their nation. I don't, by any reasonable standard, I don't think they would be patriotic. So if there's a lesson you you want young people to take away from Tocqueville... Uh, they're busy. They're not going to read that entire tome. Mm-hmm. What is it about Tocqueville that they need to understand and maybe it could change the trajectory of their own life? The necessity to read great books of the past and books that completely challenged their own democratic prejudices. The parts of the book that most resonated with me when I first encountered it as an undergrad, obviously, the tyranny of the majority was terrifying and, and real. I felt that there was some kind of tyranny in the name of equality that was somehow suffocating how I think or what I should say in my speech. That's all extremely good and always interesting to read. But given that there's uh, in such an age of pop culture, and it really has, I think, a terrible impact on, on the minds of young people and families, the parts of his book where he encourages us to read works of history from aristocratic eras to read Shakespeare. He actually says Americans should really read Shakespeare. You need it. You should know about English history. You should read Roman, the Roman plays. You should read about political statesmanship because he feared that there wouldn't be a alternative to just simply democratic prejudices that could help provoke wonder in right. the mind. That, that's 
that's part of the basis of, of citizenship. I have that broad. Well, I, I think uh, it's been a it's been a wonderful conversation. Likewise, thank you. And uh, appreciate your visiting us here at Northwood and, and sharing what you know about Tocqueville and citizenship. It's been enlightening. Thank you. Likewise, I appreciate it.